alihi wa sahbihi wa man Welcome everybody to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts live stream today in which is Shama'il Day. We'll be talking about the Shama'il of Sayyid al-Kawnayn alayhi salatu wasalam. Everyone knows that. That's what we do on Tuesdays. And then we'll be talking about, we'll be taking your Q&A. So we only have one segment today. Uh, one segment before we go into the, com- into the community Q&A session or the open Q&A session, discussion session. And then tomorrow, we're going to be discussing, reading an article about the cartoon issue, which I already gave you my views on it. Um, Muslims are not these types of people who just want to get everyone fired and cancel everyone and be filled with rage and no mercy, no consideration of circumstances, no consideration of intent. That's not Islam. That's not us. That's not the sunnah, and so I'm totally not in support of that nonsense that went on in terms of um, getting this 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 uh, adjunct professor fired. You're already fired when you're an adjunct professor. Your life is not good as, as it is, and that's what you're going to do to somebody who, in their world, were being respectful. They had no intent. So, yes, in our world, it's haram. Okay? Yes, in our world... All that is haram. Fine. They're not in our world, though. Right? They're not in our world. So we can't expect them. You can't go to culinary arts school and then they're serving pork. So you say it's Islamophobic, it's anti-Semitic. They're not in our world. So you don't like the class. You're the one who took the class at a secular school, right? Has anyone thought about this? So, okay, it's upon a Muslim to say that, hey, it's haram, could you please maybe consider? Maybe. It's like go, you, you go to a semester, you got to learn about Christianity. Astaghfirullahaladzim, you're saying Jesus is the son of God, that's Islamophobic. You went to the church. You're the one who went to the secular school. Anyway. All the language about it was woke. It had nothing to do with actual. If it was done for the sake of Islam and the sake of Allah, then you would have done things the way that Allah and his messenger would have done things, which is you give the person a chance. No one is worse than Fir'aun. And Allah commanded Musa, alayhi salam, to kullahu qawlan layyinan la'allahu yatadhakkar aw yakhsha. Okay, what's going on? Check the audio. Gog and Magog. Kill him. Yes, salam. Gog and Magog killer says, check the audio. Uh, by the way, Gog and Magog, even Prophet Isa does not have control over Gog and Magog, so don't worry about Gog and Magog. You're not going to have control over him, but nonetheless, in spirit, he wants to kill Gog and Magog. Is the audio okay, Ryan? Okay. Superman tells us the audio is perfectly fine. I love these names Gog and Magog, Superman. Okay. It's not the summer. But the kids are out. Hadith number three. Nu'man ibn Bashir radiallahu ta'ala who said, Are you not in the luxuries of eating and drinking? Whereas I observed the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not possess ordinary type of dates to fill his stomach. Let's look at the Arabic on that one. First of all, the, there are two approaches in Islam. Al-Nadhafatu min al-Iman and al-Badhadatu min al-Iman. 
is for like the rich, the established city folk. But don't forget That's how the Arabs and most of the Sahaba lived. Roughness, dusty, rough and tumble, that life. There is a way of living as a farmer, as a Bedouin. You will you cannot be clean for more than like five minutes. Right? That's just the, the way it is. Have you ever been camping before? If you've been camping, you cannot be clean for more than 10 minutes. The Prophet ﷺ confirmed that when he told the people, being dusty is from Iman. And one of our friends, I don't know if he wants his name mentioned, but he was in front of Murabat al-Hajj and he had remembered the hadith al-Iman. And yet he looked around and he saw what you would see in the Bedouin life. This sort of rough and dusty and unkempt image. And the Shaykh, as if he read his mind, he looked at him and he said, and don't you know that the Prophet also said, Sayyidina Umar did not like these, this new trend of the Sahaba washing their hands all every few minutes that they learned from the Persians and the Byzantines and the Syrians. So Sayyidina Umar spoke out against these things. So we have two paths. There's the path of like the, the poor and the path of the, those who are, have wealth. And they are two different paths. So we have to, to, to recognize that and never look down on anybody. And also not become so whole foods, elitist, everything has to be perfect all the time. That type of thing is, um, you know, uh, not necessarily always from our way. Okay. Because then you just become a bunch of elitists. Listen what Nu'man ibn Bashir said, and listen up very closely because we have someone here calling himself As-Salafiyya Shadiliya. And he says, Assalamu alaikum, As-Salafiyya Shadiliya. And what's Sayan? From who? Is today a Jewish holiday or something? There's a lot of kids out. No, I think it's Wali Shadili. He's back to being a Shadili, but now he's a Salaf. He's like everything in the book. Alastum. This is just amazing. He says, aren't you, you're in eating and drinking as you wish. That's the case. We literally, how many of us growing up, your mother used to say, what do you want to eat today? And if you said fish, well, that day or the next day you ate fish. If you said chicken, that day or the next day you ate chicken. Right? Isn't that how most of us grew up? So much so, what do you want to eat today is always met with, oh, I don't know, there are too many choices, right? And every day for us, let's say Mediterranean diet, it's a different vegetable, okra one day in tomato sauce. Next day, it's string beans in tomato sauce. Next day, it's eggplant, and I, we had at the wedding the other day, eggplant in coconut sauce. It's a daisy dish, cut up eggplant in coconut sauce. We couldn't have enough of it. Every day something different. But don't forget, لَقَدْ رَأَيْتُ نَبِيَّكُمْ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمْ مَا يَجِدُ مِنَ الدَّقَلِ مَا يَمْلَأُ بَطْنَةِ 
he could not even find the most simple dates to fill his stomach. They were that poor. Subhanallah. And Aisha, Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, who is nicknamed Humayra by the Prophet, little red-haired one. And the male version of that is Humayr. If you see someone whose name is Humayr, it is meaning his name is Aisha. Basically the masculine version of that. قَالَتْ كُنَّا آلَ مُحَمَّدٍ نَمْكُثُ شَهْرًا مَا نَسْتَوْقِدُ بِنَارٍ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا التَّمْرُ وَالْمَاءِ We would go a month. We would not light a fire. It was just dates and water. Can you imagine that? Right, what would happen today if there anyone here in the health business? Now, this doesn't make any sense, what I'm about to say. I'm just curious. Because diets are based upon geographical regions and your body's accustomed to it. So it doesn't make any sense. But I'm just wondering if someone would ever do an experiment, what would happen to their body if they went a month on dates and water? Huh? You'd probably derive strength now from all your fat in your body. It would be gone, right? Also, how many dates? I don't think they're having dates the way we have them. When you go on these Umrah trips, the amount of dates that you eat and everyone buys you dates, and it's so funny that, oh, let's get him a gift. What? Dates. There's literally nothing in that peninsula naturally grows except dates and frankincense. You go to Medina, there's more Uj stores than food. When you walk around outside those hotels in Medina, it's just Oud, 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 food. Oud, 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 food. There's more Oud than food. Dates have a lot of calories, as uh, Abby is telling us here. Yeah, they are very caloric. And on top of that, they dip them in honey, put sesame seeds on them nowadays. But they survived only on dates. And, and also, some people are asking about the istinja. There was a post that a brother put out about the istinja, how these, the, the early generation used to do istinja. They didn't always use water. They didn't always need it. Their... their Stool was dry, like a goat almost. It was dry because their diet didn't have a lot of moisture in it. Date is very dry. Like, for example, they weren't eating sauces. Dates, water, milk, meat were the four most common things that they ate. And when they ate bread, it was really rough bread. There was not, it was not, the, the fibrous part was not removed. But I'm just saying that this is just a study for us. It's not sunnah to go now and try to live like that in New Jersey or London. It's just not. Okay. Abby Khan is telling us, I guess her last name is Khan, I don't know. Two to three dates are about 140 calories. So let's say a date is about 100, 100 calories, let's say. No, less than that. Okay. Let's say 50 to 70 calories. Let's say 50 calories, a date. An egg is about 50 calories too. That's which basically the math there. An egg may be about 75 calories. An Abi Talha shakawna ila Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam al-ju'a wa rafa'na an butunina an hajarin hajar farafa Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam an batnihi an hajarain. They had tied rocks around their stomach to push their stomach in from the pangs of hunger 
Next hadith. We had read this hadith, but it was Sayyidina Abu Bakr, Sayyidina Umar, were tra- were went to the Prophet looking for food. The Prophet, peace be upon him, had two rocks on his stomach. SubhanAllah. Radim. SubhanAllah. La tadbahanna lana that adarrin. Let's see what this hadith number 354 is saying. Long hadith here. From Abu Bakr, from that the Abu Huraira says, Once the Messenger وسلم, came out of his house at such a time that it was not his noble habit to do at that time, nor did anyone come to meet him. At that moment, Abu Bakr also was out. And he said, what brought you here, O Abu Bakr? Abu Bakr said, I came to meet the Messenger of Allah and to look at his noble face. Okay? Abu Bakr was always meeting the Prophet, peace be upon him, every day. And then he said, Omar ibn Khattab came out too. Omar, what are you doing here? Okay? He says, I came to see the message. I came to see you. Okay. Mm-hmm. O Messenger of Allah, are we not on the haq? Omar says. The Prophet ﷺ said, Yes. Are the enemies not on falsehood? Yes. Truly, indeed. So, why are we being degraded in this manner regarding our deen? And when is this? This is after the Surah of Hudaybiyah. Okay. I am the mess. Uh, the the Omar ibn, uh, Abu Bakr said, "I am the messenger." Uh, the messenger sallallahu said, "Am I not? I am the messenger of Allah, and I cannot disobey my Lord. Verily, He is my protector." Omar said, "Did you not say to us that we are going to Mecca and we are going to do the tawaf? This is all the time of the Hudaybiyah, the Sulh of Hudaybiyah, when the Muslims said we are going to make Umrah. The Prophet sallallahu said, "We are going to make Umrah." They were stopped from making the Umrah. They cut a deal with Quraysh, which was a very, very important event in the Sirah called Sulh al-Hudaybiyah. And Sayyidina Umar did not like the deal. He felt it was a short end of the stick. The Muslims got the short end of the stick. Yet the Messenger of Allah is reminding him, I am the Messenger of Allah. Okay. Am I going to disobey my Lord? The Prophet ﷺ said, I did say we will make Umrah, but did I say this year? Omar said, no, you did not say this year. Okay. The Prophet said, assured him, we will go to Mecca and make Umrah. Therefore, Omar radiallahu anhu, with the same zeal, went to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, to, as if to vent. He said, Abu Bakr, this, is this not the truthful Nabi Allah? Abu Bakr said, yes. Then Omar says, are we not on the truth and these mushrikeen are on falsehood? Abu Bakr said, yes. Omar said, then why are we being disgraced in this manner in our religion? This is such a bad deal, he's saying. Abu Bakr said, Ya Rajul, without a doubt, he is a truthful prophet and he does not disobey Allah in the least and only Allah is his protector. Okay? 
Omar says, did he not say that we will go to Mecca and we will do tawaf? And Abu Bakr said, did he promise you this year? And Omar said, no, he did not say that. Abu Bakr said, you will go to Mecca and you will do the Umrah and the tawaf around the house as the Messenger of Allah promised. This is so important to always believe in Allah's promises. This incident has been mentioned in detail in Bukhari. There are many other similar amazing incidents, even when Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay. Um, made a judgment, a judgment call. Abu Bakr uh, would always side with the Prophet. And sometimes Umar would have a different opinion. So Umar used to ask, Oh Master of Allah, is this revelation or is this your opinion? In this case, it was revelation. The Sulh of Hudaybiyah was revelation. And Abu Bakr said to Umar, This is the Messenger of Allah. Okay? Don't forget, he is not going to make a mistake. And this trust is what separated Abu Bakr from everybody else. This trust. Just always to believe that Allah will keep his promises. Allah will protect the mu'mineen. Allah will never let a mu'min be hopeful about a promise that he made and then let him down. But the timing is from Allah. So you have to be patient. That's the deal. Omar ibn Khattab said, I still expiate for that anger. I still expiate. Okay. Now, this was in the Sulh of Hudaybiyah, but the reason that the Prophet had come out of his tent at that time was due to hunger. That's the link here. Okay, because you might think, well, what are we talking? We're talking about the hunger of the Prophet. Now you're bringing a hadith from Hudaybiyah. The link was that the Prophet came out of his tent due to hunger at that time. Abu Bakr came out due to hunger. Omar came out due to hunger. And that's why they were coming out. So they were on the way to this Umrah, and they were had hardly any Zed with them, provisions. Okay. Recently in a, in a lecture, Habib Omar cited a narration in which the the Muslims in the end of time Muslims in the end of time will not have any power over Yajuj and Majuj, Gog and Magog. Now Gog and Magog are two tribes that we believe as Muslims based upon the transmission of the Quran and of the Prophet that they exist under the ground somewhere. And that their numbers are swelling to the point that when they come up, their natures will have developed underground in such a way that they will be far stronger than any of the humans of the earth. And for that reason, at that time, the imam of the Muslims will be Sayyidina Isa bin Maryam. Having conquered the, the, the world and traveled the world spreading this message and having no more opponents yes there will be disbelievers but they won't be relevant opponents they will have no power over the Muslims yet Juj and Majuj will come out and the even Sayyidina Isa bin Maryam will not have power over them so the Muslims will all travel up to the mountains and they will live at the top of the mountains while yet Juj and Majuj wreak havoc on the earth nobody can stop them and that the Muslims will complain to Sayyidina Isa that there are no food there's no food there aren't even leaves on the trees that they could eat and what will Sayyidina Isa do he will fill their stomachs 
in a different way. With they'll fill their stomachs through the promises of the end times of the akhirah. How? He will take a Muslim will come up to him, and he will point to the ground, and he will see this is your place in paradise, and that Muslim will see, as a mukashafa, his place in paradise. And he will look at it and look and look and look until he forgets his hunger. It's as if that connection or that mushahada, uh, that witnessing of his place in paradise will fill him so much, it's as if that it, he no longer needs to eat food. And Sayyidina Isa will do this for every Muslim until they'll be satiated, until the time comes that they can come back down again and eat and drink again. And that's what is one of the signs of the end of time. Now, let me talk about something else. And I didn't have any intent to say this. But there was recently a clip going around. And I'm not saying this is connected directly to Yajujimachuj, but it just shows our, our, our lack of knowledge about the world physically. We haven't discovered everything. I remember there was an Islamic speaker saying, I don't know about Yajujimachuj because it seems like we have discovered everything. No, we haven't. There is never a way to say that you've discovered everything. Like it's impossible to make that claim. To make the claim that there's nothing left to discover is impossible. Because you would have to have an immense amount. Like how, how would you know that you've discovered everything? Right? You can't ever know this. So in Korea somewhere, they discovered a cave in this cave it was like the size of a country the cave is like the size of a country worse and and there they, they, they showed like um how big the cave is and they showed like a little it was like a building this big it looked like it right and then the guy said this is the size of the empire state building and above it was like a massive gap gap of air and sun does come down, a little bit of sun comes down, and there's an entire ecosystem there. You may have all saw this, right? What I'm saying is not that that's it, Jujimajuj. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that it's just an example that we haven't discovered everything under the earth. It's impossible to make that claim that we've discovered everything under the earth. So the idea here that if Allah and His Messenger are telling us, that there is something under the ground and that they were buried somewhere under the ground and they live under the ground and they're going to rise up to the crust of the earth, then we're going to accept it. Epistemologically, there's no reason not to accept it. Epistemology meaning like is not con contradicting visible reality or reason. It's a transmission that does not need ta'wil, interpretation, is not contradicting something that we're watching right now and looking at, and it's not contradicting uh, itself. It's not a statement that contradicts itself, so that we would say that this is something that is uh, irrational. No. Irrational does not mean super-rational. There's two different things. Irrational means it contradicts itself. Irrational, uh, super-rational means it's something above what we are used to seeing. Okay, It's above what we're used to seeing. It's something like um, uh, that we have not seen before.
but it's not a self-contradiction. That's the difference between irrational and super. The existence of angels is super rational. We can't see it. Okay. We just take it on faith. The existence of, as long as the transmission is sound, the existence of a, a world that creates itself is irrational because that would require existence and non-existence to be together at the same time. It's a contradiction. The existence of a square triangle is a contradiction. It's irrational. It's a non-think. The existence of a golden triangle flying around, okay, that could exist. There's nothing self-contradictory about that. So always keep in mind the difference between irrational and super-rational. Our religion is filled with the super-rational, but we do not have anything irrational in our faith, which is the main response with the Trinity. Okay. Some ulama state that the coming of Abu Bakr was due to hunger and the coming of Sayyidina Umar was due to hunger, but as soon as he saw the Messenger of Allah, his hunger would vanish. That's why he went to look at the Prophet, peace be upon him. He was so hungry, but if you look at the Prophet, his hunger would vanish. Okay. When the Messenger came out, and they asked, why did you come out at this odd time? He said, due to hunger. Why would the Prophet say that? Is he complaining? No, a'udhu billah. No. Uh, to, for someone to say that would be, it's to show that, to make sure everyone knows he hasn't eaten while you are all hungry. That's the point. That the Prophet has not eaten while you're all hungry. They did not find him. They went to find the prophet. They said, they asked his wife, where is your companion? She replied, he has gone. Okay. Um, the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, I'm also experiencing a bit of this hunger after another man, Omar said, and Omar had said he's hungry. The prophet said, I am experiencing some of that. They all went to the house of uh, Abu al-Haytham al-Ansari, radiallahu anhu. He was the owner of many date palms, trees, and sheep. Okay. But he did not have any servants, so he did all the work himself. He was not home. They asked his wife, where is your companion? She said, he has gone to bring water for us. Some while passed, Abu Haytham radiallahu anhu came carrying a heavy bag of water. He put it down. They used to make water out of skins. He then came to the messenger, peace be upon him. My noble guest, he said. And he was pleased that the prophet was his guest. And he embraced the messenger. And he began to sacrifice animals. Okay. And after that, he requested them to come to his date palm grove. He spread a mat for them. And he brought, immediately he brought some ripe dates and different kinds of dates. And he put it in front of them. And the Prophet said, why did you not only pick the ripe ones? Some were ripe and some were not ripe yet. He said, eat what pleases you from it. They ate from it and they drank water. And the uh, Prophet thereafter said, I swear by the one in whose hand lies my life. This is how the Prophet would swear. Okay. This is also included from the blessings that we will be asked about on the Day of Judgment. Just some dates and water. Okay. Thereafter, the host started preparing a meal, whereupon the Prophet ﷺ said to him, In happiness, do not just slaughter any animal, but slaughter an animal that does not give milk, so that you don't lose out on the milk. 
the host slaughtered for them a female or male goat, and he prepared the food. He cooked it for them. SubhanAllah, you had to wait a long time. Next time you go to a restaurant and you wait, they had to wait a long time. Okay? They all ate from it. Okay? They all ate from this goat, and they ate from the dates, and they ate from the milk, uh, from the water, drank from the water. And he inquired, Do you, don't you have servants? He said, no. The Messenger wasallam said, when we get servants and slaves, remind us, we will give you some. Okay? Incidentally, two slaves were bought. Two slaves. People get wonder about how we have slaves because slavery is a product of warfare. If you have warfare, the captives are slaves. So in warfare, we all agree, we're about to kill each other. That's nature of war. So if... If we accept that, then likewise, if I take you as a captive, what are you going to do? You're going to work for me the rest of your life. That's a blessing, because otherwise you would have been dead. So that's the nature of slavery. And then Sharia came to bring some rules to the slavery. You can't strike them uh, in a certain way. You can uh, punish them. You can move them to work, but you, you cannot overwork them. You, can, you have to dress for what, they, what you dress with. Eat what you eat. You cannot uh, uh, overwork them. You cannot cut their skin or break their bones like you can see in some of the old Western, uh, even England. They used to whip their slaves so the guy's bleeding. All this would have been forbidden. Uh, all of what happened in, in the slavery that we read have been, would have been forbidden. The Sharia. Is the Sharia promoting slavery? No, but it was part of life. It is a function. We still have slavery. Isn't jails slavery right now? What is slavery? It's we control your body. That's what slavery is, right? It's not worth promoting it, but it is a function of warfare. Okay? What is Guantanamo Bay? That's not slavery. What are these jails? It's just slavery by another name. Did not the prophet say people would just change names of things? So, that's when you see something like that. You understand, he's a prisoner of war, and he's going to work for you. All right? And you're going to feed him and give him to drink. We didn't have jails in the old days. And I think jails is... It's a waste. It's a terrible thing. Jails, to me, yes, you're going to have to have some jails. But to the way that we have it today, it's complete um, abuse, in my opinion. A guy, what did he do? Sell some weed? All right, give him some lashes, send him home limping, right? Well, you put him in jail for three years for, right? Uh, a lot of things do not deserve jail, but it's a big business. That's all it is right now. The people who prepare the meals make a lot of money the the people who supply the guards the uniforms all these companies are lobbyists make sure that always jails are are filled where whereas most of this stuff i mean send them to work on the farms right set make you make use of them for free labor and also a reasonable amount of time too how does it make any sense you some guy did something bad the punishment is go hang out with other bad people so you learn to be a better criminal later on. Okay. The Prophet ﷺ uh, brought him prisoners of war and said, choose one of them. Okay. He said, oh, Messenger of Allah, you choose for me. Okay. You choose for me. And the Prophet ﷺ said, an advisor is trustworthy. Okay. So you're advising me. I'm, I'm going to be trustworthy. I choose this one for you. And I had seen him do salah. Okay, so he was a righteous person. So sometimes a slave could have become a Muslim, right? Remember my one advice, and that is to treat him well, Prophet Sallallahu said. Okay. 
there's also another thing that the the is happening in history is judging nations from centuries ago by your standards today makes no sense okay so one thing we learned from this is that if you're advised then you are mu'taman you 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 have to truly um give sincere advice then he chose he when he made a choice he told him the the, the reason for the choice which means that the slave keeps his salah this one this slave prays if he prays therefore you can trust him and that's the most important thing with someone who's going to be around your house or around your business that you can trust him he's punctual and said Omar had said uh, whoever loses his salah he will lose other things right he will he will he will not be if you can't trust him in salah you can't trust him in other things okay this is for somebody who's going to choose a husband for example or a wife and sometimes people really they um they get in difficult situations and you don't want to make a judgment on somebody's state when they're in that situation you cannot be pressing age the feeling that's passing that as you press on age and a woman cannot find a suitor a man cannot find a wife this is got to be one of the worst feelings and one of the worst conditions that can befall a person don't make fun of these people so they will accept at some point they do accept anything that walks on two legs i'm not kidding you i've seen it i've seen pious people do it i've seen a lot of people do this and then they just accept somebody they their standard just collapses completely it just collapses why because of the desperation so when you see sometimes an odd couple don't make a judgment on them yes it's an odd couple yes that person is they don't pray they don't do something yes you may be right about that but the the desperate straits of a person who could not get married right and that not only that time is passing and shaitan messes with you and making this hayat to dunya seems so like this is it this hayat to dunya is this it i was just talking to somebody they were saying they were they were old my book a bit old yet planning long plans for the future and looking forward to the future like what are you looking forward to right we muslims have a different perspective on life death is right here it's right here akhirah is right here sharawi had a clip that everyone made fun of him for he was asked about like an 80 year old person that they keep putting them on machines to keep them alive and he said why are you doing this why bothering this guy let him go die and meet his lord and get his reward right Muslim, he prays he fasts let him go meet his reward pay his debts that's it let him go uh, uh, claim his akhirah and be young again your soul does not get old as soon as you die the first thing that happens you realize hey, i'm not an old man anymore right your soul has no age only your body has an age and sharawi was like oh promoting death and stuff like that 
and just a false sense of relying on Allah. He's like, no, he understands where you're going. That's why he said that in that clip. He knows, he's going to the akhirah. Why would you bother spending all that money, exhausting me to keep me alive as an old man who's not going to enjoy life? I don't even enjoy being awake. And that famous Arab poet, he said, old age is the worst of things. When, when you're healthy, you're sick. When you're awake, you fall asleep. Uh, when you're going to sleep, you can't sleep, right? Everything, you, you still have desires, but you're not desirable. You still want to eat, but you can't eat. Your digestive doesn't work. Your teeth don't work. It's, everything's terrible, right? Why would you try to keep someone alive? I'm telling you, it's one of the most important dhikrs to keep our state balanced with the, with the gross materialism that's going on here is to keep death right here. It's like right, uh, it's right next to me. You could die at any minute. And this is not to stop action. We act and we remember death. We act and we remember death. Okay, always realize tomorrow could be the day. And to, this is a farha for the mu'min. It's a happiness. It's happiness. They came to the great Syrian scholar, Al-Izz ibn Abdus Salam. He, was, he, he commanded right and forbid the wrong in Syria. The governor didn't like it. He moved to Egypt. They welcomed him in Egypt. They said, you're our sheikh now. Izz ibn Abdus Salam is one of the greatest of the ulama that this ummah has ever had. And he was well off as a great faqih and a mufti. And he was wearing a white turban and a white garment and riding a white horse. That's like a sheikh comes in today wearing the, the smoothest thobe in a white Mercedes Benz. And the poor, a poor Jewish man comes to him and he said, you are the new sheikh? He said, uh, what can I do for you? The Jewish man said, is it true that you all narrate a hadith from your prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Well, he didn't say that. We're saying that. He's a Jewish man. And he said, saying that this dunya is the prison of the believer, but the paradise of the kafir? He said, yes. Now all the people gather around to listen to what this conversation is going to look like. The Jew then says, explain to me how I'm a poor homeless man, how this is paradise for me, and how you, with your beautiful white horse and your home and all the money that you have, how is this prison for you? And Aiz ibn Abdus Salam thought for a second. And everyone's waiting. It's a good question. Aiz ibn Abdus Salam said, because compared to where you're going, this is paradise. And compared to where I'm going, this is prison. SubhanAllah. What an answer. Comparison. And that Jew, it is said, and Allah knows best, that later on, he talked again to Aiz ibn Abdus Salam, and they talked again a couple times, and he ended up entering Islam. Okay, and Allah knows best. But that's the saying. So, and especially I'm telling you, the winter time is the time for dhikr al-mawt. Especially if you fast in the winter. Fasting in the winter is a special state to it because the day is short, but I would have to say it could be tougher than fasting in the summertime from the aspect of the cold and the blood, your, 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 your body's always cold, Right? And you can fast a lot in the winter and it doesn't take much out of you. You fast a couple days in the summertime, it wipes you out. But wintertime, no. Let's continue reading here. 
The man went back to his wife and he told her what the messenger had said. His wife said, you will not be able to fulfill what the prophet said of treating him well, feed him what you eat, clothe him with what you clothe, let him sleep the way you sleep. Okay. She said, we cannot do this. We may be oppressing this slave. And you will have now been oppressing the slave that the prophet chose for you, right? The prophet chose this savage for you, this, this slave. Now you're oppressing him. So she said, then what do you say? He said, I say, free him. So the husband thought about it, and he immediately agreed. And he freed the slave. Okay. Okay. He did not care for, at least for the for the labor that he would lose, but for oppressing someone the Prophet had chosen, so he freed him. The Prophet said, For every Nabi and his successors, Allah creates two concealed advisors, one of which induces you to do good and saves you from committing evil. The other advises not to care the least in ruining and destroying a person. Okay, so you have al-qareen, a bad one and a good one, concealed from you. Okay. The one that is saved from this person's wickedness is being saved from all ruin and destruction. So the man freed the slave and the prophet then heard about it and he said, you always have two things whispering. One is whispering to you to go for this dunya keep this dunya. The other one is reminding you of everything good. In other words, there's a malak and there's a jinn, a shaitan al-jinn. They're the, called the qareen. That is assigned to us. Next hadith. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas radiallahu anhu said, from the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I was the first to take the life of an enemy. And I was also the first to shoot an arrow for the sake of Allah. We, the early Sahaba, went for jihad in such a state where we had nothing to eat. We ate leaves of trees, the pods of the acacia tree. And as a result, our jaws became ulcerous and wounded. Okay, And because the leaves, our extra excrement was like that of a sheep or a goat. SubhanAllah, didn't I just say that earlier? Right? The excrement of the Sahaba... And if you ever read the hadith where they wouldn't use water, first of all, it's the desert. Do you think they have water? A hose is going to come out of the ground or something? They don't have what we have. But also their excrement was different. It was not loose. He is telling you. Someone may say, oh, I can't believe we're talking about this. No, we're talking about it because istinja is part of our religion. Being clean is part of our religion. And being clean is going to be different based upon what you eat. So we're always eating creamy foods. So our excrement is soft. And therefore, it could get all over the place and become a mess. So we have to always wash with water. Okay? Whereas for them, it was dry. It just came out like a pellet, like a goat or a sheep. After that, the people of Beni Esed threatened me. If the status of my ignorance in the deen is that such as these people claim, then this world and the hereafter is lost. What is he talking about? He's saying that when he, after this time, I was one of the earliest, the core of Islam, the first crop of Sahaba, the ones the Prophet handpicked, these Sahaba. And now, the people in Kufa are accusing me 
of not praying properly, that I don't uphold justice properly. He's saying, if that's the case, then the dunya and the akhirah is lost. If, if the likes of me, he's saying about himself, have lost the deen and don't know how to practice this deen anymore, then, and I'm the likes of me, he's saying about himself, are going to be unjust. Who's going to be just, right? Now, you may need commentary on this. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas ruled Kufa. He was the emir of Kufa. Some residents of Kufa, they made complaints against him and they wanted essentially almost like to revolt against him. What did they complain against Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas? Number one, they said, Omar, they went down to Omar ibn Khattab in Medina. They said he doesn't pray properly. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas doesn't pray properly. Sayyidina Umar said, he, he's, he brought Sa'ad. And he said to him, uh, Sa'ad, he had the people there and he had the Sa'ad there. They're complaining about you. Okay. In reply to that, while stating his innocence, he mentioned his being from among the old Muslims, suffering in the path of Islam, the original. Okay. The OS, original Sahaba. Okay. Then said, these people threaten me and they say I do not pray properly when I have seen the messenger do it and I am not lax in this at the least. Upon that, Omar sent two people with him to Kufa that they go and investigate the matter. Okay, They went to every masjid in Kufa and they interviewed everyone there and everyone said good things about Sa'ad except one person who was starting all this. But mind you, one person starts all the lies, but did you shut him up or did you follow him? That's the question. That's why the Bani Israel and the Jews were attacked in the Quran. One person or two people would say something wrong, but the body of Bani Israel would not shut him down. Right? Rather, you allowed him to spew this nonsense. So this one man would come, but one person said, when when you are asking to swear an oath and speak the truth, I shall say the facts. Sad does not participate in jihad. Just go to jihad. He loves hayat dunya Secondly, he doesn't distribute the wealth equally. And he is not a good judge. His verdicts are unfair. Sad said he has made three complaints, therefore they asked him, okay, Sad, what do you say? Sad, look at his, his mind is above this. He said, for each one of these accusations, may the curse of Allah be upon you if you're a liar. In other words, Sad, I'm not even going to respect, to, to, to dignify these complaints with a response. I'm not even going to say I'm innocent, right? I'm not even going to say, Omar, when Omar asked him, they said, you don't pray properly. Sad laughed and he talked to him because that's Omar. Some fool is coming now and, lo- and making these three ridiculous attacks on Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. Sa'ad is not dignifying them. He said, with every one of your accusations, may Allah have a curse upon you. Okay? Oh Allah, if this person is a liar and he has lifted his head for the sake of fame, that's why he's doing this, to become famous and to be popular in the world and for criticizing a leader and he's gaining some worldly things. Then, curse number one, O oh Allah, 
increases poverty. Curse number two, let him be a slave to his own desires. This is one of the worst ways to live, right? And curse number three, give him a long life, right? So that he could suffer, if that's the case. Hey, if you're lying, retract it. Then the curse will be, if you don't like the curse, retract your lies. That's what he's saying, basically. Thereafter, an eyewitness reports. Okay. A tabi, he said. I saw an old man. His eyelashes, his eyelashes have become so heavy that they drooped over his eyes. He was extremely poor and he would go around the valleys and the, the alleyways and the streets of Kufa chasing girls, still trying to touch girls or say something about them, to them. His, despite being an old man, he's still conquered by his shahwa, his desires. SubhanAllah. When someone would look at him and curse him and say to him, stop touching girls, stop running around. What is this? You're an you're a sh- old man. Respect yourself. Miserable old man. He said, a righteous man once made dua against me. SubhanAllah. So Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, he's not even responding. If that's the truth, then let this also be the truth. Like if you're sticking with that, all right. And if you're afraid of my curse upon you, retract your dua. You're saying. There are three things about this. Number one, Sa'ad was the first to kill for the sake of Islam. Kill lawfully, right? There's killing that's unlawful and killing that's lawful. A Westerner should never wonder why is it that uh, Muslims have killing, have warfare. You should never ask that because no one has killed more than you people. No one has killed more people on the earth than the American government. And you say, well, it was lawful warfare. Okay, so this is also lawful warfare. No problem. This incident was way back in Mecca and the people were suffering severe hardships. They were hiding from the disbelievers when they had to pray. That's how bad their situation was. Once, a few persons, among whom was Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, was praying in a little alleyway. A group of disbelievers appeared there and they began tormenting the Muslims and fighting them. Sa'ad picked up a jawbone of a camel that was laying there and he smashed it on one of the heads of the disbelievers and caused his head to bleed this was the first shedding of blood he didn't die but he shed his blood okay b he was the first to shoot an arrow in the sake of allah and that was in the first year of the hijra and this was the first seriyah or expedition of the messenger of allah to rabigh rabigh is the uh, Miqat's point, okay, out west. And it was under the command of Ubaidah ibn al-Harith, radiallahu anhu. And a little battle took place. A siriya is where the Prophet sent the Sahaba but didn't go himself. A battle took place against the disbelievers and arrows were shot from both sides. Or, or a siriya is defined as an expedition where there was no fighting. A ghazwa is an expedition that, that, that did have fighting. Okay. 
In this case, the Prophet didn't go. It was Ubaidah ibn al-Harith. Remember, when they went to Medina, everyone was against the Muslims. And uh, the Muslims in Medina, to protect their city, always had to be sending expeditions out, like the spikes, the spokes of a bicycle wheel, so to, to make sure there's no army coming. You always had to go out and push. Okay? Make sure no one comes close to the city. The third is that he mentions his eating of leaves and that is in the time that the Muslims were boycotted that they had nothing to eat except leaves Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas mentions that he one time exited his tent stepped on something felt that it was squishy enough to be chewed upon so he shut his eyes and put it in his mouth and just swallowed it and even look at it he knew obviously it was a sludge or something a slug or something It showed, uh, uh, it mentions another uh, thing that happened in the fifth place year of the Hijrah is when the Prophet sent a group of 300 Muhajireen and Ansar, un, again, this time under Ubaidah ibn, ibn Jarrah, Abu Ubaid ibn Jarrah, all the way to the coast, five days away from Medina al Munawwara, against the tribe of Juhayna. Anyone from Saudi here? Juhayna? It's the milk company. Well, it's one of the tribes, Juhayna. In the beginning, three camels were slaughtered every day to feed these tribes, uh, to feed the soldiers. The Amir then forbade any more slaughtering because fearing that this would decrease, so they ate dates instead. Okay? They're also decreased, the dates also decreased until everyone was down to a handful of dates a day. Then this decreased, the journey kept becoming longer until everyone was given one date a day. Okay? Until that even was decreased and all they had was water. Okay? And then all they could do was shake leaves off of trees, pull leaves off of trees. Okay? And they called this Sariyatul Khapt. Al Khapt meaning that they would have to hit the leaves hit the trees and get leaves off of them. And the, the expedition began to be filled with obstacles and it was extremely unpleasant. Okay? Until they returned. So he said that he noted that he was the first person to shed blood, the first person to shoot an arrow, and he was part of Sariyatul Khafz. And he was also part of the boycott. Two times that they were eating leaves. So he's basically saying, that's how close I was to the Prophet ﷺ. For you people of Kufa who just became Muslim after the conquest of Mecca, and you're talking to me, don't even talk. So he didn't even um, justify anything that they had to say. Next hadith. Khalid ibn, ibn Umayr radiallahu anhu and Shuwaysa radiallahu anhu said, Umar instructed Utbah ibn Ghazwan that he should go with his companions who were about 300 towards the lands of the non-Arabs. 
When you reach the boundary of the Arabian country, set your camp up there. Okay. The reason was that Omar radiallahu anhu received reports that the Ajamis intended on attacking the Arab land. Ajami means any non-Arab. In other ahadith, Yazdajarj had asked the Ajamis for aid. This was on their path. Who is Yazdajarj? He is the Persian prince, king, essentially, who Al-Husayn will eventually marry his daughter. For this reason, Omar radiallahu anhu sent an army to set up a blockade and seal the way. So we want to blockade the Persians from seeking help from these other people. The army left, and when they reached Marbad Basra, they saw strange white stones. The people first began to ask one another, what are these strange white stones? The people said Basra. Of course, you know where Basra is. Okay? Basra is in the original language means white stones. Subsequently, that became the name of the town. Okay. After that, they kept going forward until they reached a small bridge of Dajla. And the people said, this is the place that Omar chose to, uh, told us to, to stay at. So we set up camp there. Okay. We set up camp. In the coming of the army of Khurasan, the victory of Atub, just gives us the intention of Imam Tirmidhi here is to describe the hardships of poverty, which will be mentioned at the end of the hadith. He has shortened this hadith. Utbah recited a khutbah after the victory. Okay. In this khutbah, he mentioned the world's temporary nature and that the hereafter, hereafter is everlasting and eternal. After he praised Allah and he thanked him and he, and he praised Allah's... Um, uh, he praised Allah's attributes he said the world is going to come to an end and it is turning its face and going away only so much of the world is left as when water is used up from a dish and in the end only a few drops are left in it you are going towards such a world which is everlasting and which will never come to an end therefore it is necessary that you go to such a world with the best you can attain because it has been shown to us that Jahannam is the abode of those who disobey Allah. It is so deep that if a pebble is thrown into it from the upper portion, it will not reach the bottom until 70 years later. This place will be packed with people. How important it is that we take heed at this place. We have also been shown that Jannah is the abode of those who obey Allah. It is so vast that the width of its door... From one side to the other, you will have to ride for 40 years. It will also be filled with people. So adopt only the deeds that will save you from the first abode and will grant you entrance into the next abode. After that, he mentioned his past condition. He said, I had witnessed the Messenger of Allah. This condition that I am from among those seven people who are with the Messenger of Allah, first seven Muslims, we had nothing with us except leaves to eat from. Our mouths became bruised and blistered from these leaves. Incidentally, I obtained a sheet and I shared half of it with Sa'd. Okay? There is none among the... In other words, that's all they had to wear and to cover themselves from the cold. There is none among the seven of us except that today we are the governors of a city. All we had was a sheet to cover ourselves 
and something to wear, uh, 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 half a sheet to cover ourselves. Because this group endured many hardships and made many sacrifices, Allah Ta'ala elevated them to be governors. He said, you will in the near future experience the trials of those who will come after. Okay. SubhanAllah. So Utbah mentioned these things, being the first seven converts, having nothing to eat but leaves and covering themselves with half a sheet. The first is that the difficulty experienced and tolerated in the path of religion, says the commentary, are rewarded in this life before the next. That you get your reward. You always get your reward in this life before you get it in the next life. And the difficulties that one will experience will be rewarded two times. The second time, if one confronts anything from the Amir which disturbs them, they should tolerate it. When the general gives orders, not everyone's going to like the orders, but you must accept it. Otherwise, we have chaos. Okay. MashaAllah. Amazing. Uh, to remember and think back at the time of the Sahaba and how they lived. Anas ibn Malik said, the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, I have been threatened in the path of Allah at a time when no one else was threatened. In other words, even the Sahaba, okay, even the Sahaba, when they were threatened and accused, at least they had the messenger of Allah and they had other company. The prophet is saying here, I was threatened and I was harassed okay, when there was no one else, no other man with me. All he had was Sayyidah Khadija. I experienced 30 nights and days wherein I and Bilal did not possess a single thing. Bilal was one of the first converts, which a living creature can eat, except for the little that was hidden under the armpit of Bilal. In other words, he had a small amount of food under his arm. This incident is mentioned in his Jama'ah. Jama'ah Tirmidhi took place once when going out of Mecca. This was not at the time of the Hijrah, but Sayyidina Bilal was accompanying the Prophet to another visit. It took uh, place before the Hijrah. And the Prophet was saying, I had been threatened, meaning that he did not have any companions and followers at that time. There was a time when the Prophet had zero companions and followers. Okay. And he was mocked for his claim to be a prophet. And so it is natural that when a person is alone, the hardship is felt more than if it's with a group. Right? whole purpose of this live stream and this podcast is that all the challenges that we face as Muslims today, we can face it if we face it as a group. We can get, all get through it as long as we have other people facing it with us. So that is... The end, that brings an end. We'll stop here. That brings an end to our first segment, which is the Shama'il of the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And with that, we can shift over and take 30, 40 minutes of your comments and questions and how these Sahaba were extremely uh, driven by their love of the Messenger, their belief in the Prophet and their leader that it didn't matter where they were headed to. They were headed to such hunger. They were headed to such hardship. It didn't make a difference to them. Hey, uh, Ryan, can you just throw me that? Because I don't want to lean over. and sure. I just need the charger real quick. 
just that part. Thank you very much. All right. Support this podcast by liking it, subscribing to it, hitting the notification button, and going to patreon.com slash Safina Society and signing up and becoming a patron. Let's hear the questions. Qala Sadman, is it wrong to associate major prophetic lessons to minor challenges in our daily lives? I don't think it's wrong. Not at all. Because if you're basically saying, look, they face so much more. You're not likening yourself to them, but you're saying, hey, they face so much more. Um, it should be easy for us to deal with it our problems is there a relation says the slave king between Ibn Sayyad and a Samiri no there should no be no relation between them a Samiri is the the person in uh, yeah in Sayyidina Musa's story he's he's the one who led them astray he was the one who had been nursed as a baby with the help of Sayyidina Jibreel. Therefore, he had a connection with Sayyidina Jibreel. Therefore, he saw, was able to sometimes get a glance that Sayyidina Jibreel was with Sayyidina Musa. What about Ibn Sayyid? I, I saw Habib Omar mention this one time, but I don't really understand. What Ibn, Ibn Sayyid was a person that fuels a concept and a theory that the Dajjal, he has an ability to sort of enter a person in different times of history and then exit that person in such a way that Ibn Sayyad was accused of being the Dajjal and the Prophet did not say he was not the Dajjal. Okay, he did not negate that. Yet at the same time, Ibn Sayyad was not the Dajjal, proof being he, he became Muslim and entered Mecca and Medina. So some have theorized, how do we make sense of this, that the Dajjal has, is like a force that is able to penetrate a person and take over their body for a while. That's why the Prophet didn't negate it. But he did not kill the Dajjal. If it was the Dajjal, he would have to kill him, right? But the Prophet didn't kill him. All right. So that's a theory, at least. It's just a theory. It's not Shadeen or anything like that. It's just a theory that that's what Ibn Sayyad was. Because he, he had all the attributes of the Dajjal and he would speak about the future and he had really spooked the Sahaba. Spooked them. Omar wanted to kill him. Prophet Sallallahu said, Omar, if he's the Dajjal, you can't kill him. And if he's not the Dajjal, then you've oppressed him. Right? He said, Wallahi, he's the Dajjal. And the Prophet would not say he's not the Dajjal. So, Allahu A'lam. But he's a very unique case, Ibn Sayyad. Another interesting case, is very interesting hadith I'll share with you all, where a man came to the Prophet ﷺ, and this man had the attributes of the uh, of a... He had the attributes of... Of, of uh, uh, an arrogant person. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, 
as soon as this man came. Tell me by Allah, when you came here, did you not think in your mind that I'm better than all these people? The man said, yes, I did. And he sat down for a little bit. Then he got up and to pray. Then Abu Bakr Siddiq, the Prophet turned and he said to them, to the Sahaba, he said, there's a great reward for the man who will get up and kill this man. So Abu Bakr went and said, I will do it. And when he saw him, he saw the sujood of the man was so good. His prostration was so good. Praying and all that. So he went back to the Prophet and he said, I saw the sujood of the man and I could not bring myself to kill a man in sujood. He then said, Omar. Omar went and he said, I will kill him. He went and he saw the man in Salah reciting. And Omar ibn Khattab came back and he said, I could not, I could not bring myself to kill him. A man reciting the book of Allah. This is the Khawarij. This is the origin of the Kharijites. They're, they deserve to be killed by the word of the Prophet. But their image is so pious, you can't come near them. He then said to Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib, okay, this one can do it. So Sayyidina Ali went, but when he saw, when he went to that same spot, the man had left. So the Prophet then وسلم, said, from the loins of this man will come a people, if I am alive, I would kill them all. When you see their prayer, you will despise your prayer. When you see their fasting, you will despise their fasting, your fasting. When they recite the Qur'an, it doesn't pass their jaws. It doesn't pass their throat. In other words, the Qur'an never settles here. So these are the Kharijites. They're close to, they are a people who cause so many problems in the Ummah, imagining themselves always to be better than everyone else, but when you see their, their worship, you feel so guilty. You, they look so good, they're so pious, they have the biggest beards, the shortest thobes, you, that you feel we're all like, I'm like a liberal in comparison to them. That's how you feel. I'm, I'm astray in comparison to them. But yet the Prophet is saying they're worthy of nothing but being killed. And when the Prophet ﷺ said to Sayyidina Ali, if anyone can do it, it is you, is you, that's an ishara that he is the one who will fight the Kharijites. And he did fight the Kharijites and set them straight. And he put a line between the Ummah. He protected the Ummah from the Kharijites. And the Kharijites had caused so many problems. So that's the Khawarij. What can I do, says Maham, to increase dhikr and ibadah instead of fikr when mental health is in the pits and struggling when mental health is in the pits help other people is even more important than dhikrillah inna allaha fi aun al-abd or la yazal allahu fi aun al-abd ma dam al-abd fi aun akhi that is as basic as going to the masjid and smiling at people and looking who needs help or just go out and see who needs help. In the city of London, that might mean, I don't know if they still have a lot of homeless, but there was a lot of guys 
just sitting with a cup in his hand in the city of London. Do not just try to heal yourself with dhikrullah. Go out and help somebody. Go out and be a force that's positive for somebody else. Your reward now is with Allah. He will help you. You're helping the ibad of Allah. He'll lift you up. And the best way to do this is go to the masjid. On the way, you'll see people who need help. In the masjid, you'll see people who need help. And just try to be involved in that set way. Setting the, uh, straightening the masahif in the masajid. Anything that you could do. Arab Wick, I have a separate question about recent events. Bring it. Anam, can a wife give ghusl to her husband at the time of his death? Yes, she can. But the aura, of course, should always be covered. Slave King, what are your thoughts on Israel and some rabbis in Netanyahu saying they will have a man they call the Messiah? This is, there's a craze for this Messiah. This is like the 15th time in three days someone's told me about this Jewish Messiah. I guess after this live stream, I'm going to have to read. I already saw a video. I shared it with Ryan. Remember that American woman, uh, this evangelical woman, right, was talking about the Messiah. And this poor, you know, these evangelicals are so ignorant about Islam. So ignorant. And they, nothing that they comes out of their mouth seems like nothing ever makes sense. Okay, Because on the one hand, she admitted Jesus is going to come back to the Muslims. And then she admitted that Jesus is going to be a false Messiah when he comes back to the Muslims. She made no sense when she was talking. But point being is that um, it's, it's a craze. And anything that's a craze like this, let's just wait, right? Hanif As-Suluk says, I have a question about Aqidah. All right, bring your question, ya Hanif. Ibrahim Khan, how can we internalize this love of the Prophet? Now, do not try to mimic exactly what the Sahaba did, but you're going to be great in your own way, in your context. But you do that by the repetition. The repetition of the seerah and the repetition of the salah on the Messenger, peace be upon him. And that consistency, it becomes, you become like one with it. That's the, that's the, the way that it happens. Um, Someone is saying, can you tell us about a man he went to study in Tarima, he went the wrong path. Uh, the point of the story, okay, that I told one time, I don't know if I told it to this group or what. I think I said it in the Thursday night gathering. The point of the story here is that many people attach their guidance, their knowledge, their benefit, to a created thing. And they say, I'm, I'm in a rough patch now, but as soon as I move, things will get better. I don't have a sheikh now, but as soon as I have a teacher, I'll start learning. Uh, I'm in graduate school now. As soon as I graduate and I'm free, everything will be fine. I don't have any discipline now. As soon as I get married, everything's going to be fine. This line of thinking is extremely dangerous because this line of thinking contradicts the reliance on Allah that we're supposed to have. And it's placing power in the hands of a created thing. So 
So you must, must, must remove from yourself this line of thinking that uh, you're going to be- get better as soon as something changes in your life. I guarantee you that thing is going to happen and you're not going to get better. You must get better now independently and you know that Allah is going to be with you now. He's with you. So if you want to get better in knowledge, in discipline, in iman, you can do it right now. You don't have to wait to go somewhere, to make hijrah somewhere, for something to change in your life. Okay, You don't have to say, okay, I'm going to get better as soon as my kids grow up and I can uh, be rested and I'm not hassled. No, none of that is true. If you want to truly get better, you can get better right now. If you want to change your life, dunya or akhirah, you can change it right now. They say, oh, well, as soon as my kid is independent, then I won't have to be groggy and I could work and I can get better and I could make more money and I could do better in the deen. No, that's all. It's a mirage of shaitan. And it's a mirage of the nafs, the laziness of the nafs. And it's a fallacy inside your heart about matter. Worldly things can never stop you or advance you. Allah uses them to stop you and advance you, but they're just tools. So Allah is with you at all times. You can advance right now as you are, if you have the desire. You just have to have the desire. You have to strengthen your desire. And the, the reason that Habib Muhammad al-Saqqaf, he told this story that he had a young man in Jeddah who was studying with him. And that young man kept saying that I'm going to get better as soon as I move to Tareem. In our eyes, I mean, if you're in Jeddah, you're already halfway there, right? You have a lot of resources. But in his mind, he was fooled. He was fooled, thinking that he's going to go to Tareem and some miracles are going to happen. Tareem is a city in Yemen where there's a massive school called Darul Mustafa, led by Habib Omar bin Sa'd bin Hafiz. A lot of people go to it and they just, it's like a battery pack for the ummah. It's like going to the battery pack. And a lot of good people transform. But he had made it as if like I can go there and the transformation is going to happen to me. No. The transformation happens because you're already advancing. And then Allah uses that to help you. Nobody should, you have to get out of this mentality. There's like this also, it's kind of related, but like making the means an end goal. That's what you, you've made the means an end goal. The Dar Mustafa itself is not the end goal. No place is the end goal. The end goal is Rida Allah. If the Rida of Allah is attained by going there, then that's good. If the Rida of Allah is attained by being patient where you are, then that's the, what's good. If the pleasure of Allah and His Messenger وسلم, is attained by leaving there and coming back and doing da'wah in your city, then that's what you should be doing. So this young man ends up going there. Now Tareem is no longer maybe what it used to be. It now has the good, bad, and the ugly, apparent, according to Habib Muhammad al-Saqqaf. I'm not saying that. I haven't been to Tareem in 22 years. So he then said that when he got there, that same student ended up getting mixed up in the wrong crowd and was now doing drugs and hanging out with kids who did drugs. Why? He had made the means his end and he was not putting effort. He was not putting in effort. He was thinking something's going to come and save me. This is a disease of laziness. Okay? If you want to advance in any way, shape, and form, you can advance right now. 
making up excuses and giving power to the creation that's the way that is the way of the misguided the the creation has no power to stop you from anything or make you do anything lily says can you mention the hadith related to the dajjal being a man carried in chains and coming to face with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam okay it's not exactly like that what it is is that there was a christian man his nickname began uh, uh, became let me just read it to you exactly how it was oh, this guy's dead so let's yeah pull it up for for us to read it there Mask you, okay, can you expand that slightly? The hadith of Tamim al-Dari. Is it Tamim al-Dari? Tamim al-Dari. Yeah. Meanwhile, while he's pulling that up, Mask you says many people cut their beards off, shave in, in fear of being pictured as khawarij. What's the, what, well, you, you just make sure your beard doesn't look like them. That's not the solution. The Khawarij have their own type of beard that looks like um, unkempt or something like that. They're what? Yeah, the the Khawarij would their women would pray during height, the Kharijites of the past times. Tamim al-Dari. Tamim al-Dari is the name of a man who was a Christian. And he becomes known as Tamim al-Dari because he's the first person to come up with the idea in the time of Sayyidina Omar to put lamps in the mosque of the Prophet at night. That's why he's called that. Tamim is to light up and Adar is the house. Any building is called Adar. Okay. He came and someone had brought him to the Prophet saying... And said to him, say what you told us. He's still a Christian. Say what you told us to the Prophet, peace be upon him. From the summary of this is that he said, I was, we were sailing in the sea and the sea played with us until we reached an island. And when we got out of this island, we came out and we saw there was a man chained. Okay. And, it, and then we spoke to this man. All right, and then this man he kept asking us questions, and amongst them, he said that he is the dead jet, and that his time to come out is soon, but he cannot enter Taiba, which is one of the names of Medina. Okay, this is the shortened version of the hadith. That I will go and I will affect all the cities. I will travel the entire world, except Medina. I cannot enter. Medina. Okay. And the Prophet said, This is Taiba. Medina is Taiba. And that person you met was the Dajjal. See see uh, if you can pull up another one. Tamim al Yeah. 
Mass Q says, when a wife passes away, can her husband hug her, kiss her forehead? That's it, though. Nothing else. Yes, he can. The Prophet, when he had passed on to the mercy of Allah, saying Abu Bakr kissed his forehead. There's nothing wrong with that. Anything more than that, I think that would be odd, right? That's it. That's necromancy at that point. Khalas, a kiss, nothing more than that. How do you purify your intentions, says El Yamama? Please Allah every day for the mundane tasks of cooking, cleaning, and working. Uh, making your intention is an exercise that you have to do. You have to always make your intention. Constantly you've got to be making your intention. Okay, You just renew your intention. Because you're helping other people, right? In your family. So you always make that intention. Yes, Habib Saad has a book on intentions. The difference between the scholars and the common man is that scholars make intentions. And they, 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 know, they know the concept of intentions. Always make intentions. Maliki Click is here. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. All right, let's read this hadith. Tamim al-Dadi narrated a story, and it made me happy. So I wanted to narrate it to you all. Some people among the inhabitants of Palestine traveled by boat in the sea, taking them here and there until it cast them on an island among the islands at sea. There they found a beast clothed with its hair flowing out. They said, what are you? It said, I am al-Jassasa. Okay. Al-Jassasa. They said, give us some news. It said, I shall not give you any news, nor do I want any news from you. But go further into the island. There is someone who will give you news and he will seek your news. So we went into the island, into a village, and there was a man fettered with chains. He said, inform me about the spring of Zughar. We said, it's full and flowing. He said, inform me about Al-Buhaira. He said, it's full and flowing. He said, inform me about the date, date groves of Baysan, which is between Jordan and Palestine. Do they still produce food? We said, yes. He said, Inform me about the Prophet. Has he been sent? We said, yes, alayhi salatu wasalam. He said, inform me how the people came to him. We said, quickly. He leaped up and he tried to escape. We said, what are you? He said, I am the Dajjal. He will enter. And the Prophet therefore said, he will enter all the lands except for Taiba. And at Taiba is Al-Madina. Right? That is a hadith of... Tamim al-Dari. Okay. Shazia says, how can we take power from people who cause emotional harm, although we know Allah is the ultimate power? How can you emotionally empower your mind? Very easy, but it's easy in theory, but you got to work on it. And that is simply, you have to learn self-mind control. And self-mind control is all about being cognizant of the thoughts that come and knowing the techniques of displacing them. So if I'm being oppressed by somebody, the more you think about that person, what isn't the common thing today, people say living rent-free in your head, right? Every time that you get a thought about this person, you're strengthening them, even hating them, right? The more, let's say Muslims talk about Israel, 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 you're strengthening Israel, whether you know it or not, okay? The solution is to displace that thought with anything else 
and of course the greatest of thoughts being Allah Himself, right? Displace that. So you, how do you how do you do that? How do I say to myself, stop thinking about so and so? No, what do I think about instead? Okay, and then to speak about it. Speak about the blessings that Allah gave you. Remember Allah out loud and silently. Remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and remember whatever that is you're using to displace it, say it to different people. Say it to yourself. Repeat it out loud. Okay? So that you are constantly in a state of uh, uh, talking about that positive thing until you forget about that negative thing. Okay? Even your oppressor is in the hands of Allah. Okay, even your oppressor, he's only Yadullahi Fokaidihim. It's not just about the bay'ah, the hand of Allah is above their hands. It's not just about the bay'ah, the oath of allegiance. It's also about the oppressor. He's only doing it by the leave of Allah for a reason. Okay. Many people are to, are sharing a picture where Mecca is shown to be green. And that is a sign of the Day of Judgment. And that is true. And the the Euphrates River drying up is a sign of the Day of Judgment. That is true as well. And there is a guy who's devoted himself to that subject. And he's uh, on the um, YouTube. Yeah. He's, he's, he's on YouTube showing that it's becoming dry. He measures it like every year. What's the difference between Ash'ari and Athari schools of creed? The Ash'ari school of creed is based upon the concept and idea that irrationalities, self-contradictions, are impossible. Allah Ta'ala commanded us to use our intellect and that therefore they go and show and they go and they interpret everything that would apparently on the outside of it seem that the Qur'an is contradicting itself. Because, and this is necessary because we believe the Quran اختلاف means you said one thing in one here and another thing in another area to show that this is not the case the Asha'ira have built their Aqidah on this basic premise okay. the Asha'ira also weigh evidences I don't know if the Athariya do whenever there are two uh texts from Quran and Hadith about a subject matter, they have created a hierarchy. The hierarchy being how widespread it is and how explicit it is. So that which is explicit overrides that which is interpretive. Explicit means it could have one meaning. Interpretive, dhanni, means it could have multiple meanings. That which is far widespread, such as Nas al-Quran, versus something that is only one, narrow, one chain of Hadith, for example. Right, one chain. It's called ahad. Of course, the mutawatir overrides the ahad. We would say about the ahad hadith, we'd say, yes, it is a narration that is sound, but we have a stronger evidence, so therefore we suspend it. We neither, we don't say he's lying, the, the narrator is lying, but it's not our aqidah either. Our aqidah is going to be the mutawatir. And anything that is interpretive, dhanni, is interpreted in light of the explicit. And that is Allah saying in the Quran there are verses that are Ummil Kitab wa Ukhra Mutashabihat. Okay. That's the meaning of that. And that's the essential uh 
in a nutshell, difference between the Ash'aris and the Atharis, or I wouldn't even say Atharis, I say Hanbalis. Uh, it's it's a term that was around, but now it's become a brand. Yeah, very rarely you'll see the word Athari. That's it. Athar, al Athar, not even Athari, al Athar, right? But um, it's a brand now. But they should just say Hambali. I don't have any discussion with. I can't discuss anything called Athari. Where it, where are your books and your imams? They're Hanabila. So just say Hambali. Yeah, either your Hanabila and the Mushabbiha, the Hanabila are innocent from these Mushabbiha. Mushabbiha means anthropomorphists. How do you know if Allah is pleased with you or loves you? If you're seeking forgiveness and seeking knowledge and trying to help other people and doing these good deeds that are the signs of mu'mineen and the signs of awliya, that inshallah is a sign that Allah loves you. Could taking cold showers be a form of zuhd? Yeah, I mean, not really. That's not really our way, is to find a way to self-torture. No. But taking cold showers, if you want to tell me that it's better for different scientific reasons, that's a better route to go than to say zuhd. Because now you're making it as if Allah is pleased with the cold shower. We can't say that, right? But if you want to say something that, where, no, it's just healthier for you. It makes your heart beat faster. That's your choice, and that's fine if you want to go that route. But don't make it a religious matter. Lily Rose say, a friend of mine postulated, is the Dajjal an alien or a time traveler? None of that. None of that. None of that. He's a human being. He's from Bani Israel. He's, he's from the Jews. He's a human being. Is it true that the ex-husband gets the kids if the ex-wife remarries? No. If the ex-wife remarries, the kids go to the grandma. But the son, when he reaches puberty, goes to his dad so he can raise him. And the daughter goes to the grandma. Why? Because the sharia is considerate of the, the stepbrothers. Stepbrothers in Islam do not have any link to the daughter. So if a man has a son and a woman has a daughter and they get married, that son and daughter, they're not anything to each other. The son stays with his dad. The daughter goes to the grandma. Okay. The sharia would... The grandma is a mom, essentially. Right? We... Treated that way. So it's better to live with your grandma and your grandpa than a stepdad. And a, the stepdad is less of an issue. It's the stepbrothers. That's the issue. And all of these are in the realm of recommended if possible. And there are situations that it could be finagled a little bit. But what I'm telling you is that I personally don't believe that, a, that youth come out right if they don't have a father a father who could lay down the law. Mu'mina says, how do you deal with being a convert, struggling with marriage, being shut down by the brother's family because I'm not from a good Muslim family? Khalas, leave them and go find uh, another Muslim and find perhaps another convert as well, right? Leave them. If that's their bias, then they're not for you. They're not meant for you. Don't get attached to someone like that. 
What are your thoughts on Sahil Adim of Pakistan? Has radical opinions. I've never heard of him. Never heard of him. You, Ali, says, sorry if this is unrelated. When did people start practice of reciting Wa'alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam after salawat? The original salah that the Prophet ﷺ gave included only al-al, which has two meanings. One, it means the family of the Prophet, but it also, in the more correct meaning according to Imam Malik, is all supporters of the Prophet ﷺ. But the tabi'een and the tabi'a tabi'een on some point, they added as a bid'ah hasana was sahb. So next time someone says there's no such thing as bid'ah hasana in ibadah, we say, oh really? So then don't say, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Don't say that because there's not one narration from the Prophet nor from the Sahaba that includes as-sahb, the companions. All of the salah of the Prophet, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa alihi. That's it. Not one of them includes a Sahaba. This is a bid'ah hasana that was introduced and it was accepted. When Hanafis say you can't even touch the husband or wife if they pass away, is that extreme? I don't know uh, that they say that. He said that you're not husband and wife anymore? Is that a, a, a fatwa or a ruling? Fatwa on fear of necromancy? I have just heard Amina Ralsdorf says, intention-wise, it's something need more awareness, obviously. Please would really appreciate if you dive into that. Okay. We will, inshallah, start going. And check out, Ryan just uploaded the Book of Intentions. Watermelon 786 says, if so, is pregnancy considered a proof of zina in the sharia? It is, unless there is something that blocks that, which is what? An immediate accusation of rape within like one or two days, or evidence of rape, or witnesses of rape. But you cannot be pregnant and then later, seven months into the pregnancy, say, I, I was raped. Well, where were you seven months ago? No, not acceptable. Ahmed Abid says, I've been following local moon sighting, but it's stressful because many masajid accept the scientific. Is that okay? Well, it only really matters in Ramadan and in Eid and probably in Shaban, but you can follow local, but there's no reason that you don't have to follow global either. You can follow the global moon sighting too. And nine times out of ten, if not more, the global moon sighting will uh, align with the scientific, what they say, that uh, the moon can be sighted, sightability. Okay, so nine times out of ten it will align. So check the websites that give you the global listing. 
there are these websites, these people who have connections to people from Africa to Indonesia of the Islamic world, and they get news back from them at the at the end of every month. I use those websites. It's like crescentmoonwatch.com, and it's it's not like a pretty website, but it's very informative. It's very good. All right, Sunny Seven Hundred. They say husband can't touch wife. We did that. Um, Mu'mina is saying I'm scared to marry another convert because it's an uphill battle on both ends. Okay, you know what you do? You find you find a. There are families now on their second generation being Muslim. They should be tolerant of converts because the parents themselves are converts. Okay. Bid'ah hasana can be practiced. Yes, it can be practiced if the scholars uphold that it is not contradicting the sunnah. This is Imam al-Shafi's definition of a bid'ah. And Aiz ibn Abdus Salam classified that the bid'ah in that manner. It can be fard, sun mandub, mubah, makru, muharram. Is Zuhud a part of Tasawwuf or is it too extreme? Zuhud is part of Tasawwuf. Zuhud is just that the dunya is not in your heart. It may be in your hands or it may not be in your hand. But it's not in your heart. That's the key. Okay. It's, it's not easy to be Zahid today. There's so much dunya around. But it means it's not in your heart. You're easily, you part with the dunya if necessary. And if it's taken from you, you're not, um, you're not uh, f- losing it, essentially. Mass Q said, a son had problems with dad. Son cut him off because the dad ran away. Left the mother in neglect for 20 years. The son has listened to her, but he wants to cut her off now. The son is lashing out. Help. Here's my advice, and that's the advice of the scholars in the books. Don't pass judgments on your parents. Okay. Just don't go there. Do not pass judgments on your parents. Reason being is that we're not in the place to do that. And so, therefore, do not think about what they did, right or wrong. Okay, and just give them their rights. If I understood this question, son had problems with dad, son cut him off, so the son cut the dad off because the dad ran away, left the mother in neglect. Okay, terrible, you help your mom. Okay, he wants to cut the mom off, or the dad wants to cut the mom off, I don't know, whatever it is, don't put yourself in the position to cast those judgments and... um. Just give them both their rights. And you should have forgiveness. These are your parents. Can you pray to Hajjid in the dark or should we turn the lights on? I never heard that the angels rely upon the physical light. I don't know about that. I've never heard that. Okay. I've never heard that. Yunus Awan, shouldn't you be in school? Could you do a segment on the signs of the hour? Yes, I think we can do a segment. We can get the book Twilight of a, of a world 
get that book and we could read a little bit from it. I was just reading from it this morning. Sophia says, struggling to get married in the early 30s. What advice would you give? Be part of knowledge circles. Maybe send in your send in your your bio to um, fill out nbic.org. Um, forward slash mawadda nbic.org forward slash mawadda fill that in some of our shiuch on arcview are single by the way you know that yep arcview some of our teachers are single so but send it in nbic.org forward slash mawadda and go to knowledge circles knowledge circles are people where tend to they tend to have to be more mature hopefully they tend to be pious, trying to be pious, and have the similar values, so try to be part of those. She says, I know many sisters who are struggling to get married and they're getting old. I'm worried because I'm getting older and it'll be more difficult to have kids. And praying to Hajjud. I heard somebody once say, one tear is all it takes and Allah will answer you. In the last third of the night. He said one. And sometimes it's not even the last third of the night. I've even heard from a non-Muslim. Okay. I've even heard this from a non, non-believer. Talking about his life. And he's very successful. And he's saying that he remembers the moment that things started to change for him. He says, I remember the moment. He said, I was sitting in my car. And I thought how much effort I put forward, right? And how little results I got. And then he said, I was like in a little, I was in a darkness, just complete desperation. And I just said, that's enough, right? And I said, God, I'm finished. I can't do it anymore, right? He's a non-Muslim, but he still believes in God, right? So he said, I'm begging you, do something, I said, immediately, things started to change for him because he was crying, a grown man crying. But where did he take his tears? He took it to someone great. He took it to someone who has the power. And you think, if Allah answers the prayers of non-believers, and he does, this is in our aqidah, either out of rahma, it's out of rahma, or istidraj, one or the other. But Allah has rahmah for the ibad, worldly mercy. Doesn't mean otherworldly mercy. It means worldly mercy. Then what about for a moment? Take your matter to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but take the asbab. Every marriage thing, fill it out if it's, it's done in a good way. Every halakha, go there. People will see you. Pe- not, I'm not saying expose yourself to men. I'm saying expose yourself to the other women. These women... They have brothers, they have sons, they have cousins, they have friends, okay? And they'll hopefully connect you. But really take your matter to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I remember another story of a man who could not get married. So much so that he began to propose to people who were far older than him. And they would still say no to him until finally one day he had just took his affair to Allah in the last third of the night and he made ibtihad, which is to put your hands up like this and he was just weeping. It's like, he cannot get mad. Then someone connected him to a woman 
that he would, he said on his own account, he said, I would have never dared propose to her from like, she's in another league. I would have never dared propose to her. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not proposing to her. Someone says, just propose to her. Try, see, just try to meet her. We met and got married. Oh, when, when Allah Ta'ala gives, he gives beyond what you can imagine in your head. But take your affair to the one who truly has power. Anyone who's depressed should just take their affair to Allah and ask exactly what you're feeling. I got, I'm down. I'm hopeless. You take that. That's why the great uh, Abu Madian al-Ghoth used to always say that a Muslim must be a, in tune to how he feels. Because that's what you're going to bring to Allah Ta'ala. I'm nervous, I'm scared, I'm worried. You bring it in the last third of the night. It's got to be intense though. It can't be just a little, you know, some people's jaw is like flicking a rubber band in the sky. It's not going anywhere. It has to be an arrow fly up to the sky. Then it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit. Right? Don't do the swiping ads, Mu'mina's saying, then I agree with her. But go to the way, like, this is why I like Mawadda. There's no swiping, there's no shopping around. And it is now across borders now. It's not just New Jersey. So if you, if, and we, by the way, last Friday we had our first Mawadda marriage. Yep. So that's good news. It's working. Mass Q says a mufti had a massive problem when seeing a bunch of people making wudu with cold water. When warm water was available, he was super cross and shocked. That's not a thing, any reason to be upset. I personally sometimes find benefit in making a cold water wudu because it wakes you up. It softens your skin more too. Yeah. You, you should see in Turkey, in Istanbul, make wudu outdoors. I'm going to type it in here, mbic.org slash Mawadda. And Mu'mina, I think she said she was Asian. Well, this couple was one quarter Asian too. So I need advice on how to ration my time, says Melody. Working nights, it seems my days are start to accomplish the things that would bring me closer to Allah more reading, more classes online, etc. So what I think that the best thing for you to do is, is to focus on one, have a wird, the system of awrad. A wird is that I will attend this class and that's something doable to me. I will attend that or I will watch the recording one a day, for example. Just sign up. For just just do one thing a day. I'm going to read this page a day. Just keep it a word. But you have to, the secret of the word, it must be so simple, it's impossible not to do it. That's the secret of the word. Here's a challenge that's very, very good for you. One push-up a day for the next year. You'll be shocked how hard it is because you'll forget. The key is the remembrance, right? You'll forget. It's not that one push-up is hard. It's remembering to do it is hard. Because you get distracted. Mass Q says, What should a woman who wants to be a housewife and hates to work because grew up where women never worked? What can she ask as her conditions for the man when looking for marriage? Well, I think that... Uh, 
Huh? That's the, yeah, I mean, are you, I don't understand what do you mean asking her the conditions. You just tell him, I don't work. I think many men would like that, right? That's, uh, that is also the origin of things too, right? وَقَرْنَ فِي بِيُوتِكُنْ Anamlodi, is it mostly people from the U.S.? It's mostly, but not necessarily. Okay. But uh, I think that you could just say that. Nothing wrong with that. Muzammil says, some people say that salawat like salah kamila tunjina are not from hadith, and hence it is better to recite salah narrated in hadith. What's the answer to that? No, the, the Quran has a general command to make salah on the Prophet. And salah kamila, salah tunjina are du'as, it's ad'iyah, du'a, that follow the salah. And there is no limit on that. Yes, the greatest of salawat is the salawat found in the hadith. But there's no limit on that. There's no limit. Like if I said if you like, you think they would have a problem with someone saying like Allah, like give me you know, tawfiq in this, getting a new house. Yeah. It's not. There's no delil for that. There's no delil for making a specific dua. A dhikr wa dua amr am. It's a general commandment from Allah. General commandment. Is it okay to eat the machine slaughtered meat or is it haram? It is okay in the Maliki and the Shafi'i schools, but not in the not in the Hanafi fatwa. Not that I know of. I'm probably Arab Hanafis and Turkish Hanafis allow it. But the um, subcontinental Hanafis that I have met have ruled against it. They, to use a machine. Why? Because they require the basmalah to be on every animal. Specifically. And so, also I think that they do require the, it, the connection of the hand to the animal. That's the ijtihad from them. But the Shafi'i and the Madikiya, they allow that you use the machine and say Bismillah upon all of them, provided that there is someone making sure that the animal is actually getting cut. Because if an animal wiggles out from the blade and is alive and falls in, then dies, that's meta. The whole batch becomes haram. Unless someone is there, he takes that chicken out and he throws it on the side. Meta. Some who says the majority, if not all, moon sighting websites are owned by the Tablighi Jama'a. May Allah bless them. Yes, may Allah bless them for that service. Maliki Click, why is it uphill to marry a convert? Some converts know volumes more than born Muslims. Yet you know what they say? They say, well, the grandma is going to affect the grandkids and stuff like that. Well, the cousins are going to affect them. That's what they're worried about. But ultimately, it's the piety of the family and the strength of the family because. Arab families could also have people who are astray. I know some more Muslims that think Aqidah is a martial art. <laughs> where Where is our man, um, Prince Akil? Yeah, with his silk pillow. You, Ali, can evil eye be removed on an afflicted person without the culprits being bathing in wudu water? Thank you. You can block evil eye with Surat Al-Faraq and Surat Al-Nas and the Awrad in general. Mask you, I seen me walking to the golden gates, Rauda Sharifa. There were people going to give to salam. That means, inshallah, maybe that Allah has b will bless you with a visit to Medina, and Allah knows best. Sunny says, how many Brits are on Mawadda? 
We can ask. We can ask. What do you think about qadr and choice? Our choice and Allah's choice, says Ahmed Hussein. And the answer to that is in the Quran. There is no choice that you make except that Allah has made it. But you have to ask for Allah to bless your choice. Because everything is from the will of Allah. But ask Allah to bless your choices. Okay. Humans are tested by their choice. Yep. That's it. Your choice is also a test. Sammu. Asking on behalf of a close family member, is medical marijuana permitted in lieu of traditional pharmacology? If the intoxicating substance has been removed from that marijuana, then it is no longer forbidden. Marijuana in general is not nedges to begin with in its dry form and only therefore getting high is forbidden so and taking it consuming it in the form that makes you high is forbidden but if it's altered in a form that does not make you high then it's a plant like any other plant are orthodox jews classified as kafir ahlul bayt are classified as kufar yes they're, they're a sub-branch under the broader umbrella of kuffar. لَمْ يَكُنِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ Oh, I said that? No, I meant أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ is a branch, sub-category of kuffar. لَمْ يَكُنِ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ So when we talk about kuffar, there are two broad Categories, Ahl al-Kitab and Mushrikeen. The Jews and Christians who have a heavenly book and a heavenly structure like theirs, the idea of God, prophet, and afterlife is there, but it's incomplete. They've rejected the last prophet, or more than that. And then there's the pagans who just make up whatever they make up. Idolatry, animism, atheism, it's all the same. These are the kuffar. And as individuals, the zindiq and the murtad are also kafir. They're worse than that even. They're not even kuffar. They're worse than that. A zindiq is somebody who claims a false, an impossible belief that, like, let's say that there's another prophet, but says this is Islam. Okay? He says this is Islam. That's a zindiq. No matter how Muslim they look, if you contradict an explicit and mutawatir text of, of Islam... Explicit and widespread, known in religion by necessity, you're a zindiq. You have less rights than a kafir. And if you openly state that I'm no longer a Muslim, then you're a murtad. These are less than the kuffar. That's why they're not lumped with the kuffar. They are less than, they're worse than that. Okay. Why can a Muslim man marry a woman of Ahl kitab Only as a rukhsa. Because in general... In general, uh, the children will f- and the and the, f- the 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 religion of the household is in generally dominated by the man or directed by the man. So Allah has allowed it as a rukhsa for those Jews and Christians in the hope that they would slowly enter Islam by doing that. And it's makru in the Maliki Madhab to do that, by the way. And it's even more makru in the lands outside of Islam, outside the Islamic countries. 
where you could lose your kids. Would you recommend a Desi Maria Arab? We have a lot of that here, no problem. Especially second generation like us. Why is Karbala not mentioned much in the Sunni Muslim worlds? We do mention it a lot, but the, in general, the Muslims remember Hussein by happiness, not by sadness. Happiness. He fulfilled his mission on the earth. In Egypt, they call it Mawlid al Hussein. Okay? All right. Celeb- Anytime they want to celebrate somebody, they celebrate him on the day of his birth. Now, I'm not, I don't know what goes on in these celebrations. I haven't been there. But the concept is that they always try to um, mem- remember someone in a happy sense. That's the optimism of Ahl Sunnah. But to grieve and to hit ourselves, no, that's not the way of Muslims. Ahmed Abid says, what's the evidence that global moon sighting is accepted? I have been told local only. It's all ijtihad. Kullu ijtihad. All of it's jihad. The, the question would be, why would it not be accepted? That would be the question. Maryam Jahami, I want to learn more about the Prophet. Start reading Shema'il or Sirah. I would combine both. Combine one time Shema'il, one time Sirah. Mu'mina says, it's so sad as a convert to meet some born Muslims that have left Islam. It's impossible to disbelieve in this religion. But I see people leaving because of community abuse. It could be the case, but that means that that person wasn't connected to Allah in the first place. If the community is abusing you, you're not Muslim because of the community, right? You're Muslim because of some deeper issue, right? But it is happening. We're having a... If you ask me... We're having a complete shift in the ummah, right? It's a complete shift, right? There's all new people coming into Islam and people leaving Islam. Waqar Dira says, I'm planning on visiting the resting place of Sheikh Ahmad al-Alawi al-Mustaghanimi. What do you recommend during the visit? You go and you do just a visit as it is. You make dua for the deceased and all the people of the graveyard and you could do recitation of Quran there and bestow it upon for him as a gift it's permitted in the Shafi school in the Maliki school only the ibadat that are financial such as sadaqa hajj and umrah can be done for the deceased you can do because the Prophet he did accept that explicitly. The financial ibadat. And hajj and umrah is half financial and half physical. Sadaqah, of course, is all financial. But the Shafi'iyah made qiyas on the rukhsa. And they said, any ibadah that you can... Hanafis too. Any ibadah. Recite Quran, you can send it to them. Recite, uh, make a dua, you can send him the reward of that. Mass Q, your question is, it really needs a counselor. It's a big issue, what you're saying. It needs a counselor. Is a 30-year-old that lost his parents classified as an orphan? No. You classified an orphan if you lose your, lose your, parent, your father before you lose your father before Buluh. That's what classifies you as an orphan. Atheists say, why have no karamats been caught on camera? 
And in a similar vein, why did the Prophet's miracles and such happen before cameras were invented? Such a stupid question. Such a stupid question. Atheist said that. Okay, such a stupid question. We say to you, listen, it does not going to matter. You're not going to believe it anyway. Right? Because you've made up your mind. Okay. Turquoise says, I'm from Turkey. Should I look into Mawadda? Why not? The more people on it, the better. I'm going to ask them how they're doing. Okay, let's take some of the questions at the bottom there. I'm sorry. Some of you are um, uh, getting skipped, not by choice, but just, just have to be like that. All right, you can again support this stream by going to patreon.com forward slash Safina Society. I'm just starting a new job, says Uwais. Can you expand a little on the explanation of being financially stable in light of providing housing, etc., for marriage? Yes, you need to provide a house. You need to provide clothes. You need to provide a life similar to what she's living. So keep working, keep going up in your, uh, in your job, keep striving. Because wealth is a protector. It's a means, yes, but to, by which you protect yourself in this day and age. Yes, uh, poverty. The Prophet said, if poverty was a man, I would execute him. Poverty can cause a person to, to go into kufr, which means to lose hope in the power and the generosity of Allah so that in the sense that your belief in Allah is incomplete now that's what it means okay does Mawadda support biracial marriages yes if that's what you ask for right if you ask for that you'll get they will consider that Swift K I'm lost in my spirituality what do I do go back to the law and go back to the aqidah right we can be lost in our spirituality. Spirituality is like the third floor of the house. The aqidah is the foundation. The law is the first story, the pillars. So go back to the study of aqidah. I highly recommend taking Sheikh Murad's class on Arcview and go back to study the fundamentals of the law. Get your foundations back in order. If a woman is 22 years of age, what age should a man, should she consider? Okay. Uh, so I would say, for example, if the woman's 22, the man, by 25, maybe he has a job and he's financially okay. 25, 27, like that. Sometimes they're not financially okay now, but they're studying, right? There's hope in that type of guy. Like he's in med school. So you know he's going to, inshallah, eventually, he's on the track to be okay. So he could bear with it for a few years. How do I check if the man is Sunni? Uh, um, say, are you Sunni? What is your aqidah? Right? No, you can ask those questions in marriage. There's no shame in asking those questions. Who do you study with? Which message do you go to? No problem in saying that stuff. Okay. How would you respond to someone says an extra celebration apart from the two Eids is haram? We say, where did the Prophet say it's haram? No, the Prophet said that the sunnah that he is establishing is two holidays. There is no thing that said that making any celebration after that is forbidden.
What's the correct way of sending reward to the deceased? You do any act of ibadah, like such as reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, and you said, I intend the reward to this person. Okay. Mu'mina, your question, I would say you need to rest, to do more ibadat and more awrad and go to the awrad, safinasaida.org forward slash wirt and that will help you get rid of that problem. What's the average range of ages in mawadda? Good question. I think 20 to 45 or something like that. Yeah, maybe not even that high. Jay Perez has a great answer. Hold on. Something coming from nothing was also never caught on camera. Speciation was never caught on camera. Speciation is this idea that eventually a dog will, will change so much he becomes another species. Where is that? Where, why haven't we seen anything in the middle? Have you ever thought about that? Why do we have a crisp line? Dog, cat, mouse, falcon. Crisp lines of species. If it was so slow and so random, right, and so slow, wouldn't we see a gradient walking all over the place? Oh, this is a peacock. It's changing its species. You can tell that it was a peacock 50 years ago, but now it's something else. Why, don't, why do we see crisp lines, huh? It's almost a joke. Yeah. <laughs> Look at it. It's growing a shell. <laughs> it's turning green. Wait, why don't we see anything in the middle? We see crisp lines between species. But they say, oh, it happens over thousands upon thousands of years. Okay, that means it's slow, right? So we should see the middle somewhere, right? We were talking about yesterday in Bidayat, like for the people who deny Khabar Sadiq, yeah. just ask them, how do you know your parents are your parents? SubhanAllah. You didn't, you didn't see your parents yeah. your parents? People Transmitted you knowledge, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, Transmitted that's true. Yeah. Show, me, show me the footage of your mom giving birth to you, so I should believe her. Or every parent is going to take a DNA now for their kids? I, I saw on, on the speaker's corner thing, like, someone said this, he used the, the argument from the Mathurides, and he basically said, uh, the guy was like, well, I don't know. He's like, he's like, all right, you're being silly now. <laughs> okay, and if you don't know, get out of speaker's corner and go solve your, your parents' problem. <laughs> but e e either that, or they're going to have to be silly, right? Yeah, they're going to have to get sarcastic or, or stupid. Is it permissible to celebrate your birthday? No, it's permitted, but what happens in it can be makru, such as the takalluf of everybody now having to go get you a gift. No offense or anything, but if you're if you have a lot of if your kids have a lot of friends, it becomes a hassle. I gotta get him a gift. We do we have time every Saturday to go to a different birthday party? It becomes a takalluf on the community, right? But sometimes it could be nice, right? So you really have to judge it. Nice as in just a gathering of friends, right? Give the kids some love and make an excuse to get together, fine. But you really have to measure it because it could enter the realm of makru. What happens in it could become makru. Okay, the concept itself is not the issue; it's what happens in it. And be mindful of the takalluf. Sometimes they come and say, oh, we're having a, a, a themed birthday party. What's the theme? Uh, pirate theme. Wait, I'm going to go buy pirate clothes for one day? Right? <laughs> no, I'm not going to this party. I'm sorry. Right? We're going to have to go and buy some clothes that we're never going to wear again just to go to this party. I have time. To go and spend 30 minutes at some party fair? No, this is takalluf. This is no good. Takalluf is burdening people. Ah. 
Oase Kass, I highly recommend you take our Hanafi class on arcview.org. Study Sheikh Murad's Aqidah class and Sheikh Imran's Hanafi class. Okay, start watching the videos now. I wish I could take everyone's question, but unfortunately, um, we can't take everyone's question, but it was a very good um Good stream, good questions today. And that's the barakah of starting with the Shema'il. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu wa amilu salihat. Wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa Oh